0: The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. And do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.
1: It's time to get fired up. Fired Up is a show that delivers both business impact and social importance. Get ready to explore the connection between communications and human motivation. Our guests will share ideas on how to create higher returns on your communication investments by engaging the people who matter most. Our host Gordon Rudo, CEO of Bonfire Communications, has bridged the communications gap from startups and nonprofits to the Fortune 500, from political leaders to celebrity CEOs. Get ready to be fired up with your master communicator, Gordon Rudo.
2: So, welcome back, everybody, to Fired Up at Webmaster Radio. Good to have you folks back. As I mentioned last week, we are close to wrapping up the season here. I think this is week 24 of 26 on our season. And because it is nearing the end and I am a nostalgic kind of guy, I've been going through old episodes and just looking at what we've provided you this season and uh i must say it's a pretty good material i urge you if uh if i had the time and i wasn't the host of the show i'd probably come back and and listen to each one of these episodes because i think we have some degree of a master class in communications and organizational development and organizational culture and these types of things. And there's just some terrific material here um, going all the way through from Beverly Kay to Donna Markova to Marshall Goldsmith and Terry Pierce and Norm Smallwood and Amy Lyman and David Allen and Robert Fritz and Art Kleiner. I mean, just some really terrific stuff with Michael Gelb last week. Um, I urge you to kind of go back, and if you have the time... And you have the interest in advancing your knowledge in the organizational world. We have some of the the best organizational thinkers in the world today speaking to you and giving you their best learning. So we have a terrific show today, another illuminating, mind-altering episode for you with Gifford Pinchot of the intrapreneuring fame or the, uh, intelligent organization fame, depending on where you came in. And I must say that going back into this material and looking at what our organizations and our, our world is facing today, the material that they've put out probably 20, 25 years ago is about as timely today as it ever has been. So Gifford and his wife, Elizabeth, who's not joining today, but, uh, I was excited to get Gifford on the phone and and again, look at the material that they put out twenty years ago and try to ask yourself as I've been asking myself, how did they get this far ahead of us? (laughs) So um, Gifford, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Gordon. Thank you for joining. I hope I didn't embarrass you with the opening, but I think your material is a little bit of time. Um so I'm going to just jump right in if that's okay with you and uh with a short show we want to get as much as we can out of your brain and what we have and for those who don't know much about Gifford uh you know graduated Harvard with honors in 65 author of numerous books intelligent organization in 1994, the intrapreneuring uh, material came out in 85, um, but he is the author of of tons of articles and is one of those people that you just look at and it's like, oh man, he's also president of a university and has his own uh, licensed technologies and turned over a couple companies, so um, we're fortunate to have you, so I'd like to just take everything I can with the amount of time that I have. Is that all right with you? Sounds good. Thank you. Um, so let just jump right into this issue. Um, today we have um, a variety of complex forces today, globalization, generational shifts, uh, new technologies, definitely a need for innovation or reinvention of organizations uh, unlike I've seen in my career. What do you think we need to think about when it comes to organizational structure? If we can just dive into... Uh, the need for innovation and just focus there and, and looking at structures that support innovation. This is a centerpiece of your work. What kind of structure should we be thinking about today and what are the kind of timely things that you're seeing that are working?
3: Well, on, on, the, on the one hand, there's sort of the larger scale structure of how, how nations uh, organize themselves. I'll skip over that for a moment and maybe we'll come back to it if, that, uh, if that's appealing. But uh, let's uh, take the scale of relatively large organizations. Uh, Now, relatively large organizations tend to have as their basic structure some form of bureaucracy because bureaucracy is about the most highly evolved form of hierarchical chain-of-command-style organizations that we've come up with uh, yet. And yet that very kind of organization turns out to be very good at doing something steadily over a long period of time in in an environment which changes slowly. But it's not very good when uh, at managing innovation and at using the intelligence of everyone in the organization. And the brains in an organization are very widely distributed, about one per person. And so it's, uh, uh, it's important if we live in the information age that we're using all those brains to fine-tune what we're doing to uh, the locality that we're in, to the product line that we're in, to the customer segment that we're serving, to the uh, technologies which are emerging in that area and so forth. And so what we are needing right now is a leap forward in organizational structure. And it turns out that the only way to handle very large levels of complexity, which is what organizations are facing now, is some form of self-organizing system, which is constantly adapting itself uh, to the uh, needs of the moment. And uh, there are lots of self-organizing systems. One of them that uh, that we mimicked in, in our work is the market system itself. It's rather strange that we live in a society in which CEOs believe passionately that uh, the most important thing we can do is have the free enterprise system work all around the world because this is the form, the way to uh, both have innovation and and, uh, and growth and also the way to uh, most uh, uh, serve the needs of, uh, of people for a certain amount of freedom and so forth, the alternative uh, often being totalitarianism. And yet those same executives uh, have a tendency to use something which far more closely resembles a totalitarian state than it does a a free uh, nation in the way in which they run their own enterprises. And while that might be appropriate for a small-scale organization, when an organization reaches a certain size, it needs to tap into the uh, talent and imagination of its people to a much greater degree than is possible uh, using that kind of structure. And so what we have done uh, is created internal markets inside, uh, uh, inside large organizations which have many of the same uh, uh, characteristics and, and operating rules that a free market has on the outside. Obviously, uh, uh, there are some restrictions which are necessary. And uh, uh, a good example of that, I, it's very hard for me to talk about my corporate clients because I, uh, they generally want a certain level of secrecy that makes it, the stories kind of bland and boring. So, uh, But I can, uh, for example, talk about one of our clients, which is the U.S. Forest Service, that lets us talk about what we've done there. And uh, what we've done has uh, been uh, actually very successful over a long period of time in enlivening what would might otherwise be a rather bureaucratic organization. After all, it's part of the federal government.
2: And yet, and let me are, pause you at that point because yeah. we're going to need to take a short break, and I like to keep our our listeners uh, kind of in suspense as you tell them about the the forest system. And, and I think there's a couple other stories I want to pulse you for. So uh, we're going to take a short break and very be right back with Gifford Pinchot and hear about uh free market system inside of large bureaucracies. We'll be right back.
1: Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break.
4: affiliatecontracts.com is an affiliate network like no other hands-on account management right from setup gives personal attention with continual account optimization and our affiliates will attest our offers consistently pay more money every single day seriously and hey want to make a lot of money fast check out our unbeatable i mean unbeatable insurance offers higher conversions with programs that are sustainable and scalable because affiliatecontracts.com is committed to you for the long run bigger payouts higher conversions and attention you expect from dedicated affiliate managers affiliatecontracts.com that's what the affiliate world needs Hey, affiliates. Do you find it a challenge monetizing traffic from the UK, France, or India? You need offers that will appeal to all of your visitors, no matter where they come from. AdsMarket.com has met this challenge and has turned it into a science. AdsMarket.com gets results for publishers and advertisers with a winning formula. The combination of offers, worldwide traffic, and AdsMarket's up-close and personal media management is exactly the boost needed to monetize international audiences. AdsMarket.com.
0: Use the power of Local Pages with over 5 billion searches per month and the largest database of paid search listings. Let Local Pages Affiliate Network personalize your account and give you the search tools and solutions you need. Become a Local Pages Affiliate today with LocalPages.com.
1: Press this Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudeau.
2: And we are back with Gifford Pinchot talking about free market systems, creating internal markets inside of large organizations. And, Gifford, I'm sorry to jump in before the break, um, but I wanted to get this story in whole. So tell us about what happened to the U.S. forest system. What what was happening before you got there? What were the, the symptoms or kind of your call to action? And what were some of the systems that you put in place?
3: Well, I'll start with a call to action, which was during the uh, Clinton administration, uh, there was a, uh, a call to reinvent government and, uh, and to make government more effective. And uh, uh, we were uh, the my wife and i were the lead facilitators for the forest services uh, uh reinvention team which was 14 people in, in in the dc area working on how the forest service could be made to be more responsive to its customers and more efficient and uh, and and basically do a better job at what it was doing and one of the ideas that came up came from uh, the book the intelligent organization which you referred to earlier which which talked about a way in which you 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 can uh take all the services which are provided inside an organization now in the case of the forest service you have line organization which basically has uh, a forest supervisor for every forest of which there are roughly 150 in the United States and each one of those forest supervisors has a budget and work that has to get done in that forest which uh, obviously they're involved in helping to design that work but uh, there are basic things that have to be done and And I'll give you an example of some of the services that they might want uh, to either hire someone to produce or or contract out or in the the case of what we set up to contract in. And uh, doing uh, biological assays, wildlife surveys, plant surveys, all those sorts of things are a necessary part of the Forest Service. Uh, Marking trees uh, and uh, and scaling trees to figure out what's going on. Programming oracle databases, uh, doing documentation, uh, uh, doing marketing and, uh, and and interpretation of uh, of uh, various sites that people would visit, archaeological studies, and so forth all these activities are things that go on all the time in the forest service to uh, comply with various laws and get the work done. And what we did is we set up a little businesses inside the Forest Service that provided these. So there's a team of uh, very uh, enthusiastic computer programmers who are solving all kinds of computing problems for the Forest Service. And they don't have an allocated budget at the beginning of the year. The only way in which they can get money to pay their salaries and to, to uh, uh, pay for anything else which uh, they need, their computers in this case, uh, they have to sell services to various customers in the Forest Service. But they're no longer in any one forest they can sell to any one of the 150 uh forests and uh and that uh allows them to spread their rec- their their talent much further and and become much better at what they're doing now they did a study of of the uh, impact of this on the forest service and they found that these teams were roughly 1.6 times as productive as the average forest service employee if you can imagine what could happen uh, if we if in any business or or in this, or for the federal government, for that matter, if it became one point six times as productive, what that would do to uh, its ability to get the work done and to do do more than it would otherwise be doing to provide better service to uh, customers and so forth and that 's exactly what 's happening in business. It results in a higher level of profit uh, and so those uh, that 's been going on in ninety eight we basically uh, got that program going. And we launched about 23 businesses then. Uh, most of them are still operating. Some of them at a uh, scale, you know. Some of them are now doing over 20 million dollars a year in, uh, in in revenue. So they're providing a lot of service to a lot of people all over the Forest Service. And each time they do that, they uh, provide uh, a better better value than any any other thing because otherwise no one would buy their service, right? Uh, if the forest supervisor could hire someone to do that work full time. They could uh, contract it out to someone outside the Forest Service. There's, uh, uh, they could uh, do something called hire a detailer from some other par- part of the Forest Service. And when they choose to uh, uh, to uh, use one of these enterprise teams, they are choosing them because they're more effective. And that is uh, now currently being uh, scaled
2: up at the Forest d- Service.
3: You- Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Uh, so my question was, uh, of these 23 businesses, and I imagine that they didn't all start at once, but from an operating capital perspective and trying to take these lessons into a Fortune 1000 context, how would this translate? How would a group get started? Where, how would it get funded? What's the kind of lesson for most of our listeners who are sitting inside of uh, these global mm-hmm. companies and looking at okay. a case study like this and looking for what they can do?
3: So, in uh, an example of of what we did in in a uh, Fortune uh, 100 company that shall not be named, uh, uh, was that uh, we took over uh, the the, the enterprise teams took over a lot of responsibilities in the IT area. So, uh, there's a lot of internal hosting of applications. So, one group set up servers and and took care of people who wanted to land an an application somewhere and run it inside the uh, company. Uh, Two groups in that company, which competed with each other, started doing uh, various web development tasks. Uh, There was a uh, a group which did human factors engineering uh, and so on. So all these, again, were services which you would need inside a a firm which was uh, providing uh, electronics, uh, equipment, and software. these are all the services that someone who had a new product that they wanted to launch uh, in, in, in the marketplace could use. One one example was a team of mechanical engineers. Now, in, a, in an electrical engineering environment, mechanical engineers are sort of low on the totem pole. They're not real engineers, according to the electrical engineers. And yet, to produce a product, you actually need mechanical engineers because managing the, uh, the, the, uh, bo- the heat in the system and so forth is, is, is as technology increases, things get hotter and hotter, and they go in smaller and smaller spaces, and the heat engineering problems become more and more difficult. And people who are using their services began to say, wait a second, we're getting products to market three months faster as a result of dealing with this team as opposed to all the options we had before. And so that, that becomes uh, an enormous competitive advantage in a, in a world in which a product life cycle might be nine to 18 months. Uh, an extra three months jump on the the system that group was so successful that uh, they ended up uh, buying a stereolithography machine which uh, makes parts directly from the uh, drawings in the computer and they were able to give their clients instead of drawings, they were able to give them parts that they could test something that would never have happened under the old uh, system of disrespect for mechanical engineers. So how does it get started? Uh, we uh, provide a course that trains people to be entrepreneurs. In- in- we call them, and write a business plan, and that business plan is presented to a panel of people inside the company who either vote to start the business or not, just like a venture capitalist would. They get provided with a little starting capital, which is part of what they, they ask for, and it's up to the committee what to provide. That money goes in an internal bank. And they have a bank account from then on, and their receipts go into the bank, and their salaries and their overheads come out of that, uh, that, that, that bank, and it's their responsibility to maintain a good positive balance inside there. And as long as they do and don't break some important rule, they get to continue doing what they're doing. And that's an enormous level of freedom compared to what you normally have in a bureaucracy, and yet it's also a very powerful system of control because the only way they can get paid is to do something that somebody who is working on the mission of the organization very much wants. Otherwise, they won't get the business. And so on the one hand, the buyers of their services have more control than they would over an employee because we all know that employees can become resistant and so forth, and they're very hard to get rid of inside any bureaucracy. Uh, And on the other, uh, as opposed to, You have a contract with these people. When that contract is up, you either renew the contract or you don't. They become very customer service. Now, you might say, that's exploitive. But it turns out that the enterprise teams that we've been dealing with are so happy that they are, in fact, staying on well past retirement age, providing essential uh, skills uh, that uh, might otherwise be gone because they're having such a good time. They don't have to suck up to people. If if they don't want to work for someone, they just say, no, sorry, Uh, we don't want to work for you. That's their choice. Uh, uh, They're free agents in the same sense that a small business providing the same service would be a free agent. And that creates the incredible entrepreneurship that is necessary. You know, if you look at a little functional area, you don't have the people in that area planning five years in advance what is going to be necessary. But our teams who have built up capital inside their bank account, can say, let's all take some time and go do some training so that we get ready for what we think the next wave of of, of the demand will be. And that provides a level of innovation in the way in which the functions inside the organization operate. And it turns out that 80% of the people in a large organization are in fact providing a service, not to customers, but a service to some other part of the organization, and so it could be part of this uh, system where you would have a relatively lean chain of command Uh, that gets things done by hiring the enterprise teams that have those uh,
2: capabilities. And let me ask, as a professional communicator, as a firm that uh, services a lot of communication functions or HR functions or service functions for organizations, is there any shared service area or support function inside of a company that this couldn't work for?
3: i don't know the answer to that i think it's important to recognize that there's two things going on with corporate staff groups they might be a shared service organization or they might be a police organization now whereas i think it's good for customers to have choice over the services that they're getting i don't think you get to choose which police officers you deal with sorry i, I you appear to be from the blue police force and uh, and i have contracted to be have my speed regulated by the red police force so you can't give me a ticket no i don't think that's going to work so uh, I think what's one of the things that that this system has done very effectively is helped to separate the police functions from the service functions. And uh, there's lots of police functions that are necessary. We need to make sure we're we're following employment law. We need to make sure that we don't violate uh, various uh, 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 things, which you know, for example, that our our human resources uh, practices in 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 Asia are what they should be. And and that is something that you probably want uh, a Member of the hierarchy to be ultimately responsible for, uh, but when it comes to helping those uh, the person who's buying services in Asia from uh, various factories uh, to pick the right factories, that could be a service. you see the difference that i 'm talking about here
2: I think it's a, a, a pretty clear distinction, um, so we 'll assume that from a service function perspective, this is where most of this counsel can be applied. Um, as you say, you don't want to pick and choose from even a legal standpoint. Um, you like what what one lawyer tells you to do and protects the organization, but you know your contracted lawyer tells you something different. So um, you can pick and choose those kinds of compliance issues for the organization. So I think that that line's pretty clear. Let me ask this next question, though, because as we've talked about on many episodes, it's really about the leader's level of comfort or their own fears or their own kind of egoic personality that allows for certain types of organizational structures uh, to permeate. So, this is a shift, as you said earlier. We've gotten pretty comfortable with bureaucratic or hierarchical systems, um, and this is the way that most leaders have been um, trained to operate. What kind of mindsets are required for this new type of organizational structure?
3: Well, I think that, that actually leaders are, are, are trained to function in both areas because in many cases leaders are both uh, uh, employing people in a hierarchical structure and contracting stuff out. And and we don't say, well, somebody needs to be a, in a completely different mindset in order to contract out. It's just part of business as it exists today. So from the point of view of the buyers of these services, I don't think that there's a huge shift that needs to take place. It takes a, a little while for them to recognize to just understand what 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 is being talked about, but once they do, I mean what there have been several attempts, for example, at the Forest Service from the center of the Forest Service to try and kill the enterprise program, and it has always been saved by the customers who say if you if you take this away from us, we will not be able to get our work done for the amount of money you 're giving us now you 'll have to either have a see a, a significant reduction in service or you 'll have to uh, give us a larger budget, and ultimately that has prevailed uh, in the center so the people who are most have the most difficulty with this are are people at the center of the organization who feel they're losing power. On the other hand, uh, a good example is uh, that uh, uh, we worked on years ago at AT&T was a PR group, and uh, the main PR organization founded a little group within it called PR Creative Services, which. Uh, uh, was operating on a a very different basis than the main group. The main group was an allocated service, and they offered PR services to whoever they thought needed it the most, and it was in the most interest of AT&T to have those services. And PR creative services had to bill for their service, and so instead of being free to the user, actually they paid for it. And you would think that this would have made life difficult for AT&T PR creative services, but they rapidly grew from a PR firm of five to a PR firm of 19, providing services all over AT&T. And the central uh, uh, person who was running all of uh, uh, PR at the time took their uh, people aside and said, we've got to look at what these people are doing. Somehow they're providing a very high level of satisfaction at a reasonable cost to their, uh, their customers. Let's copy what they're doing so that we can become more effective. So it became a teaching structure for the main PR. And the lady who was running that then felt that both of those things were her doing her job. She was running a a typical hierarchical system, and she was running a free market system, and she had set both of them up, and and collectively they were providing better service than she had been able to provide before, and and she could get a good review for uh, the fact that people were satisfied with what they were getting.
2: Interesting. And before we take our next break in a minute or two, just your sense of where the market's going. You know, when we go through these uh, contracting periods in the economy, uh, we're outsourcing more and we're keeping more at our core, or are we starting to move towards this insourcing or uh, entrepreneuring sort of model? Where do you see the market going and, and kind of your advice to leaders at a stage where we are economically?
3: Most of our successful implementations of this system have taken place during contracting times. And the reason is because the uh, line managers are laying people off and have a whole bunch of functions they can no longer, that they had been relying on, that they can no longer hold a whole whole person to do. And so it makes sense for them to hire one of these enterprise teams part time to get very highly skilled people who do that maybe more effectively than the person they had working for them just because they're freer and therefore able to innovate and because uh, they are. have probably selected themselves out as courageous and uh, innovative uh, people. And so all during that period of downsizing, for example, during the period of time we were uh, doing this in the Forest Service, they downsized from about 30,000 to about 20,000 people. And the forest supervisors were having real trouble getting their work done, and so they were willing to try this new system, which allowed them to get that work done without all the difficulties of contracting out, which include leaking information to the outside that you might want to keep private inside the organization, the fact that you have to train all these people on how your system works and so forth. The insider has a huge advantage in that they don't have to go through the purchasing department to reach them. They can have, call them up and have them start the next day, and uh, they uh, uh, are uh, fully aware of how the system works so that they're not don't spend the first month learning all the acronyms. Uh, it's a very efficient system compared to contracting out. And so during really hard times, people uh, give up on the uh, uh, their hierarchical assumptions, and they'll try anything that actually works. And so uh, that's, been, that's been actually our most successful time of implement implementation. The other trick I, I can say in terms of implementing this is you want to get the finance people involved right from the beginning and, in In several cases uh, it 's basically been a finance project some some Somebody innovative inside the financial function has said, "We can make what can finance do to make this organization more effective aha, we can set up the systems which allow more entrepreneurial activity inside the the organization and it 's our job to manage the bank and manage the uh, uh, the, the uh, transactions uh, the One of the most difficult things about setting up these systems is to get the uh, financial system to do the accounting properly for the team so the teams can figure out rather rapidly are we making money are we losing money they somebody has to keep track of their uh, expenses and their and their uh, revenue and uh, yes they can do that on their own and quicken but what really counts is how it shows up in the main accounting system so that's was one of our lessons is uh, is get the uh, the uh, uh, finance people, part of co-creating this right from the beginning, don't, uh, don't develop it and spring it on them.
2: Then they'll resist it. So we're going to, after a break, go from the system's perspective to an individual perspective. We're going to talk about what employees need during this time, how to uh, counsel executives during this time. So we're going to take a short break, be back with Gifford for the words of wisdom and the takeaway points. We'll be right back.
1: Stay tuned. Fired Up on webmasterradio.fm will return after this short break. XY7. In the affiliate mark. Are you an affiliate? If yes, you'll pay me. No ifs, ands, or maybes. Get pay daily, make a mad dash sign up is a flash, quickly convert the clicks the cash affiliate marketing network is first place, I cut to the chase, it's all performance based, listen to what I'm telling you, cause this what you better do join as a publisher and maximize your revenue, think we agreed that money is what you need, need. you can get paid from sales and leads, not one thing lacking, don't get it cracking even comes with state of the art tracking, where did it start, you can do it a couple ways, 8-6 Six XY seven page It's toll free tell me what you waiting on So long on the XY7.com
2: Here's your bell
1: demand. I'm telling you, this network is recession-proof.
0: Revenue Wire, the recession-proof network platform. For more information, visit RevenueWire.com today. That's RevenueWire.com.
1: PPC Rockstars will take you to the promised land of PPC profit. Live broadcast Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudeau.
2: So we're back with Gifford Pinchot, and I want to take a slightly different take on this. We've talked about the organizational systems. We've talked about how to set up entrepreneuring as an organizational structure and how to bring finance in. I want to think more about the employee perspective. And, and in a previous call, Gifford, you talked to me about you know sustainability and about bringing values into the organization, and recently we had Terry Pierce on that was talking about the role of inspiration. I think these things are highly connected, entrepreneurism, uh, innovation, inspiration, values. Uh, What do you see as the possibilities for employees right now? How do we fully engage them in this process of of co-creation?
3: Well, first of all, they may not have the system we just discussed, and and so they're actually operating under a slightly different uh, system for innovation. But if you think about sustainability, sustainability requires uh, a vast amount of innovation. Our society is about to go through a paroxysm of change as we adapt to the fact that we have to manage our carbon, that it turns out that putting that much mercury into the sea is really not going to work in the long run, and so forth. There's a bunch of things that humanity is doing right now that are unsustainable in the sense that we can't keep on doing them and maintain, uh, uh, you know, we won't be able to eat the fish, we won't be able, you know, there's just, we can't go on doing these things, and Corporations will be called upon, one way or another, to deal with these problems, and individuals are, in many cases, already feel in their hearts that they'd want to be part of the solution to uh, a, a looming uh, uh, crisis that we see humanity moving through at the moment. And that uh, turns out to be very good for entrepreneurship in two ways. One, you won't, you don't get innovation in large organizations or small, for that matter, without an intrapreneur, i n t r a preneur someone who is operating like an entrepreneur but inside the organization on the behalf of the organization because it takes the entrepreneurial spirit actually to make significant innovative changes. It's great to have inventors who think up the idea, but the people who actually make those ideas into commercial realities have a great uh, lot in common with entrepreneurs in terms of personality. They are driven by vision more than they are driven by greed. Uh, they are uh, moderate risk-takers as opposed to high-risk-takers. Uh, the, these are things that people don't normally think. You know, The, the myths of an entrepreneur is that they're high-risk-takers. It turns out not to be true. The myth is that they're driven by greed. It turns out they're li- driven by greed far less than corporate executives and so forth. What they do is they see the way in which the world needs to be better, and they devote themselves to making that happen, and they devote a little bit of their energy to make sure they get paid for doing so. But that's not the real reason for uh, for uh, doing it. And so what is true for people in large organizations right now is that the, there is an increasing opportunity to do new things because the world is changing so rapidly. Whenever the world changes, there's great op- entrepreneurial opportunity and great entrepreneurial opportunity. And the key to this, uh, if you don't exist in a system that uh, makes room for, formally makes room for entrepreneurship, which uh, some do, but most don't, is that the way it works is that you have a series of sponsors, people in higher positions who, in fact, believe in you personally and believe in uh, in, in the project, and they support you and protect you from the slings and arrows of an outraged bureaucracy who is, of course, busy resisting change. And that... That relationship is one of the core things. So, you have a dream, you think it through in a a disciplined way, so that you can present it. You run it by people who will, uh, uh, from different uh, functions as as relevant, who poke holes in it, but they're enough close enough to you as friends that they won't uh, 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 go out of their way to uh, blow the whistle on you. You develop the idea, you find. People in 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 different parts of the organization, and they aren't necessarily your supervisor. We did a a study of 15 uh, uh, major uh, innovations uh, in uh, uh, that came were coming out of the R&D organization from from a large company, and the most common sponsor was regional sales managers, because when you go up that hierarchy, if you you talk your boss into it. Your boss has to talk your boss's boss into it. Your boss's boss has to talk your boss's boss's boss into it. Any break in that line and and the system is broken. But you go to the regional manager of the southeast and they don't like it. You can still go to all the other regional managers. You find one that likes it. Bring them back in, defending you in meetings so that, the, the, that uh, it... Uh, So you find your sponsor both within your own chain of command, that's useful, and outside your chain of command, and they collectively can convince the organization to let you do what you need to do in order to innovate and bring about a better and more sustainable world.
2: Lots to work with here. If there's not a, a call to action for executives to think differently right now, whether it's from an environmental factors that the world is collapsing or the market's collapsing or the fact that we're dealing with global competition, certainly there's huge calls to action right now. You're presenting some terrific models from a structural perspective, ways of building organizations that they can actually sustain themselves, be creative and innovative inside of this collapsing environment. Um, and you also mentioned something that I want to – punctuate before we go this idea of of this gift economy, that we're looking to be Mm -hmm. positive contributing members of a community and and this idea that our our happiness also is connected to how much damage we do in the world. So there's ways of engaging people um, inside of organizations with a great call to action, great structures to put in place. But talk about as we close this idea of of a gift economy and and how to engage people as as a positive contributor of, of our society.
3: Lewis Hyde wrote a book called The Gift, The Erotic Life of Property, in which he uh, shows two ways in which uh, economic systems work, one, the typical market system that we know, and the other, what he calls a gift economy. And In a gift economy, our status comes not from how much we get, but how much we give, just as in an exchange economy, status comes, he who dies with the most toys wins kind of uh, attitude. Uh, and uh, it turns out that the gift economy is deep into everything that we do as human beings. It's one of the most fundamental aspects of what it is to be the social creature, which is a human being, which is we want to be seen as a a contributing member of our our society. So uh, one of the things that managers can do is to make people's voluntary contributions. You know, someone does something really cool make sure that people know about it because then that makes that contribution more visible and it, and it rewards the person who did it with uh, basically a higher status uh, position. And this, uh, this system is, is what the system that science uh, runs on. It's the system that Linux runs on. It's a gift system in which people do what they do because they want to be seen uh, as, uh, as contributing members of a group which, uh, which they honor and uh, and the reason why people stay up all night uh, to get that project done on time, if you really ask them what it was, it's not so much because they think they're going to get a promotion from their boss. It has more to do with the fact that their coworkers. They don't want to let down their coworkers. They want to uh, do the right thing and be seen as the kind of person who does the right thing by all the people who are meaningful to them just as people, as well as the people who are meaningful to them in the hierarchy. And managers who recognize this Uh, can get uh, a great deal done by uh, being sensitive to the way in which uh, that kind of thinking works. And as I said, one of the most important aspects of that is is by recognition and by uh, uh, making sure that you know who it is that actually contributes above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, That's how the whole nonprofit sector works. People make contributions. Uh, and it turns out that uh, our society and our companies would not work without uh, this. It's a day-to-day, accurate uh, uh, system for measuring contribution by the way in which people think about it.
2: We, think can't monetize, quality, we can't monetize it, uh, whether everything. you're a business leader or HR leader or in the world of communications, to understand because I think um, many leaders kind of have this wrong, uh, and how we're building reward systems, and how we're thinking about uh, the blocks that we have from really engaging people. Um, it doesn't take much to give them that kind of visibility and to acknowledge their deeper work. So I think there's a terrific lesson there. I want to thank you for your time. We've been out of time for a couple of minutes, but I've been hoping that you'd touch on this piece as well. Um, uh, thank you for joining us today. If people want to find out more about you, they can go to Pinshow.com, anywhere else that you want to steer them to learn more about some of the things that we talked about. BGI.org. So check you out boy, at the boy, Bain- good. Bainbridge Graduate Institute. Um, quick plug for that. You want to say what you're doing there? We have a sustainable business school.
3: Uh, so we've brought environmental responsibility and social responsibility into the heart of the business program. So we teach accounting and finance in the triple bottom line. We teach teach mission-driven marketing and so forth. For people who really care about building a better world, this is the business program that you want to go to, and we are a model uh, for many other business schools. We've been named the uh, top uh, socially responsible business school three years in a row by Net Impact. We're uh, uh, the leaders, I guess, in uh, in this field.
2: So thank you for your work you're doing. I also want to steer people to intrapreneur.com where there's some ongoing dialogue about the work that you're doing, so check out. So, Gifford, if anybody wants to learn more about what you're doing or some of the content that we talked about today uh, besides Pinshow.com, where else should they be checking you out?
3: BGI.edu. That's the website of the Bainbridge Graduate Institute, which is a sustainable business school. In fact, it's the leader of the Sustainable Business uh, movement in, in academia. It uh, is a school which teaches the traditional courses like marketing, but we teach mission-driven marketing. We teach finance, but we teach, teach finance in the triple bottom line. So we're bringing environmental and social responsibility into every subject. And that allows people to learn to think clearly about how uh, the uh, traditional financial profit kind of uh, uh, management fits with managing the social and environmental responsibilities, which takes some time to learn and therefore can't be totally separate subjects. We've integrated those into every course.
2: Well, I want to thank you for the work that you and your wife are doing and the work at BGI, and uh, remind our listeners to check out all of the places to learn more about the pinchos but also check us out at twitter.com forward slash fired up radio and we will check you all out next week thank you again for joining thank you